John chapter 15. I want to try to preach to you a message this morning about God's greenhouse. God's greenhouse. You didn't know the Lord had a greenhouse, did you? Well, he certainly has a vineyard. That, that's certainly the case. Uh, he, he refers to the vine here in John chapter 15. And then he also refers to a, a different vineyard back in the Old Testament. I believe that's in Isaiah. He refers to it, I think, in the book of Ezekiel talking about Israel there. But this one here in John chapter 15 is a little bit different. So we want to look at this a little while this morning and see what the Lord has for us. So John chapter 15, let's take a look here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll, we'll see what's right here in John 15 for us. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us this morning. Thank you, Lord God, for a full house, Lord. God, we thank you, Lord, for working on people's hearts. And Lord, we do thank you, God, for your mercy and grace to us. God, Lord, thank you, God, for your mercy to unworthy people, God, unworthy sinners. And Lord, thank you, God, for saving us. Thank you for sending your son to die for our sins. And Lord, thank you, God. Lord, thank you for everything that's been provided to us in that work at Calvary, Lord. And we thank you, Lord. God, you said, for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And Lord, we thank you for those things. We pray that you'd help us this morning. God, Lord, I intend to preach. Lord, at least I, I feel like you've put it on my heart to to preach to Christians, God, to charge Christians this morning. But, Lord, I pray if there's somebody here that's never trusted Christ as their personal Savior, I pray you deal with them and help them, God, to see their lost condition before you. And, Lord, what you did about that, God, the fact that you sent your own son, God, to pay for their sins. Lord, I pray you help them. God, thank you for these things. Lord, bless us this morning, we pray. God, help us, Lord, to be clear. Help these to understand. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, John 15 this morning, look in the verse number one. The Bible says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Now, I don't have a red letter edition of the Bible, but if you've got a red letter edition, those words sitting right in front of you should be in red. And that means that it's Jesus Christ talking. So when he says, I am the true vine, there's no misunderstanding about who he's talking about. He's not talking about a preacher. He's not talking about your priest. He's not talking about the president of the United States or any other country. He's talking about none other than himself, Jesus Christ. And so he says, I am the true vine. Now, the Lord often uses things to illustrate truths in the Bible. Sometimes he tells parables, and the reason that he does that is a different subject for a different time. But when the Lord is trying to drive something home and give people to understand something, a lot of times he'll, he'll draw a... Uh, a uh, parallel between things. And the reason for that, without going into too much detail, is very simple because people are much more apt to learn things if you can take something that they already know something about and use that to teach them about something they don't know about. That's just the way that the human mind works. If you've ever had a mother or a daddy or a school teacher, which I think that pretty much includes everybody, don't it? Uh, so, uh, Nobody's ever had a school teacher in here. Uh, but anyways, the, the Lord uses things like that. And so the Lord, I, I find it very comforting that the Lord who made people knows how to teach them. Yeah. Amen. Hey, let me just take a second and try to encourage you a little bit. Uh, now, some of you may think that you're super smart, but I'm not. Uh, and I listen, I, I try to study. I try to learn as much as I can. When I say I don't feel like I'm smart, I'm not using that as an excuse to be lazy. Uh, but I just, boy, I, as far as intelligence goes, when the Lord started handing out that stuff, I kind of was in the background. I got what was left over. 
Uh, but I tell you this, the Lord knows who you are. And if you've got a willing heart to learn, God is able. The Lord Jesus Christ is able to teach you what you don't know. His stipulations for learning you something is not that you have to be smart. It's that you have to be teachable. Amen. Thank God for that. Else I'd be out. And so would some of you. Amen. But anyways, uh, he says, I'm the true vine and my father is the husbandman. My father is the husbandman. So that's God the father. And then he says this, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. I, don't, I think he doesn't want you to forget that because he said it twice. He said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do what? Well, that sure is a blow to the human nature, ain't it? Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do X, Y, Z. No, no, you probably ain't going to get much accomplished. That's, that's just the way that it is. And listen, if it's that way, you know, the Bible says in the book of James, I believe it is, might be chapter 4, but he said, he said uh, you know, a lot of folks stand around and they say, hey, we're gonna, tomorrow we're going to go do this, and tomorrow we're going to go do that. And he said, what you should say is, if the Lord will, we shall do this or that. And that's the, that's the right attitude. That's the God's honest attitude. Uh, what, what the attitude, the, overall, the overarching attitude here in John chapter 15, what he's trying to convey to you as a Christian is that you should take the attitude of dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to have to lean on him in this life. You're going to have to really, really depend on God in this life if you're going to get anything accomplished. That is true, I believe, for anything. I believe that's true for anything. But if it's true for carnal things, how much more true is it for spiritual things? Yeah. Yes, sir. If you're going to try and get something accomplished for Jesus Christ, the Lord is going to have to help you through it. The Bible says, I believe it's in the book of Psalms. He says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? He said, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. You can expend a lot of energy trying to do things for the Lord in this life. But if God is not the one standing right by you and helping you lay the block and helping you pour the foundation and helping you put up the studs and helping you put the shingles on the roof, if God's not the one helping you, boy, you're going to find yourself in a place to where you're not going to get much accomplished. Uh, a lot of folks find themselves in a place to where they get something what they think is accomplished and then come to find out not too much later after that, it's like a house of cards. Just a slight breeze come by and it just fall all on top of them. And what the Lord's trying to get you to do, listen, if you're not saved, that's a, there, there's a different thing that we could say to you this morning. But if you're saved, what the Lord's trying to get you to do is to learn that what you're supposed to do is to lean on him, to trust him, to depend on him. God, listen, God is not, God is not a spare tire. God is not a spare tire. That's all he is to some people. You know, God is going to, you know, I'm going I'm to go and live my life and then I'm going to get myself in a mess. And then when I get myself in a mess, I'm going to drop to my knees and say these couple of words. Well, listen, that is, that is no different than what a Catholic has. You say, oh, you're speaking bad against the Catholics. Man, I talk bad about the Baptists because the Baptists have come to that place to where they just look at it as just a matter of routine. 
We're just, you know, going through the motions. A lot, of, a lot of Baptists, all they're counting on to get them to heaven is nothing more than what they have on Sunday morning. But that, that's not salvation. And it's not a Christian life. Hey, if you come to church on Sunday, hey, if you come to church on Sunday night or Wednesday night, I'm, I praise the Lord for that, man. I'm happy for you. But that's not a Christian life. Yes, sir. Christian life is not lived in front of church. It's easy. It's easy to put on airs in front of folks at church. The Christian life should live down at your house. Man, man, Christian life is lived down at your workplace, whatever it is that you do. So, well, I can't be a Christian at where I work. Then I'd quit. I'd go find me a different job. Hey, man, boy, we can preach there for a while, but I'm just telling you, hey, you're going to have to, you have to learn to lean on God. The Lord is pleased when you lean on him. So anyways, that was, all that did was serve to make the sermon longer. That's all. Uh, so, but anyways, it's all true. All of it's true. But look here in verse 6, the Bible says, well, let me read verse 5 again. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, you might read that verse, verse 6, and say, well, see there, a man can lose his salvation. But here in, in John 15, he's not talking about necessarily matters of salvation. He's talking about matters of service. So the Lord is not teaching that you can lose your salvation. Uh, look, look at what he says right there in verse 6. He says, if a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire. Hey, when you go to hell, nobody gathers you and puts you into hell. You say, well, the angels, those aren't men. And that's when those angels gather folks and start putting them into hell, that's not talking about folks from the church age. That's talking about folks that are in the millennial reign of Christ. So you got, you got a different place. You say, well, Brother Nathan, you kind of lost me at all that. That's okay. I'm just saying that the Lord's not teaching that you can lose your salvation in verse 6. Uh, he says, men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Well, what's that mean? Well, give me a second. We'll try to go through it and explain some things about this. Verse 7, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Now, that's an interesting statement. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Looks like prayer to me, and it looks like answered prayer. Yeah. Yes, sir. That's, that's God's intent for every Christian. Yeah. Boy, that's God's intent for every Christian. I'm a little bit ahead of myself this morning, but you know, one of the reasons why the Protestants came out of the Roman Catholic Church and why the Baptists were never part of the Catholic Church just let that sit there for a second because I know everybody teaches that Baptists are Protestants, but they are not. They never have been. There has always been a group of people that were anti-Catholic. You say, you don't like Catholic people. No, I, I don't like their religion. I don't like their religion. Our goal is to pull people out of the Catholic Church. It, of course, it's to pull people out of the world overall. But what I'm saying is... The one of the reasons that the Protestants came out of the Roman... Say, you have to explain yourself about stuff like this, Brother Chris, this day and time because people are so shaky. I mean, you say something against somebody's religion and, boy, people just lose their mind. Listen, if you're like that this morning, you should really toughen up. You should, you should really toughen up because when the Lord comes back at the millennial reign... He's going to take every other religion and crash it into a million pieces. And you're going to like it or lump it. And a lot of folks is going to lump it. They're going to die. 
Yes, sir, they're going to die under, under the Lord's footsteps. But that's, that's deep Bible study because most, most folks, unfortunately, I guess, just don't read their Bible. They're not interested in that kind of stuff. They're interested in their finances and interested in their family and interested in how can the preacher make me comfortable or how can, you know, the preacher give me something that will console my conscience because I lived like hell the whole week. But see, when you start talking about the Bible, when you start talking about biblical things, that kind of puts things a little bit on edge. It, it, it doesn't smile too friendly. Anyways, let me get back to my main point or one of my, my uh, bigger points here. One of the reasons that the Roman Catholic Church or the Protestants came out of the Roman Catholic Church was because one of the doctrines that they rejected was this idea of a hierarchical priesthood. In other words, in order for me to get to God... I had to go, I would have to go through some priest. And people began to read their Bible and say, no, sir. They, I said they began to read their Bible. Amen. And they said, no, sir. Yeah. They said, this is not the way that the New Testament lays it out. That's an Old Testament arrangement, but Hebrews, that's an Old Testament arrangement for a nation, Israel. You're not an Israelite. First, you're Gentile. But then on top of that, that's not the arrangement in the New Testament. The arrangement in the New Testament is there's one mediator between God and men, the man, the man, Christ Jesus, whom Hebrew calls our great high priest. And so we have the ability to go straight to God the Father. I said God the Father through the atonement that Jesus Christ offered. So that was why, that was why folks got away from that attitude. But you know... The practical mindset of Christians, a lot of Christians nowadays, is, man, if I want to get an answer from God about something, I've got to go talk to my preacher. But you know that's not the case. Listen, everything that I just preached to you, that I just said to you, is doctrinal fact. You can go straight to the Lord on, your, on, on the merit of Jesus Christ. You don't have to have a preacher hold your hand when you get down on, on your knees and try to approach God the Father. That's doctrinal fact. It's doctrinal fact that many of you know and you believe. I believe you believe it. At least you say amen to it, so I take it that you believe it. Did you know that when you say amen, I take that as you agree with what I'm saying? Amen. And when you snarl and scowl at me, I take it that I just got in your backyard. <laughs> but anyways, so don't snarl and scowl and I'll never know the difference. Uh, but you know, a lot of folks take the attitude, well, you know, man, I really have to have, I want to get an answer from God. I want God to help me in this thing. And they take the attitude, the only way they can get help is they got to run down to the church and tell the preacher to pray for them. And you know, to be honest, man, I'd be glad to pray for you. The Bible says that a preacher is supposed to give himself to the ministry of the word and prayer. That's what he's supposed to do. That's the book of Acts. I'd be glad to pray for you, but did you know that you don't have to have a preacher pray for you? you there's nothing magical per se about the preacher. There's, there's no hex that the preacher is going to pronounce over you that's going to automatically put you into the presence of God that Jesus Christ himself hasn't already done. And so you know what the experience of every Christian is. It should be the joy of answered prayer. It really should. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, and man, just about everybody in Folkestone, Georgia's trusted Christ. At least that's what they say when you talk to them. And I mean, all I can tell you is what the Bible says as far as how to get saved. You've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved. You've got to know you're a sinner. You've got to know you're a sinner. You've got to know you're a sinner. 
And you've got to know that Jesus Christ died for your sins. You say, well, he died for me. Specifically, technically, he died for your sins. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 says. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was offered up an atonement for your sinful condition, for the things that you did that God hated. Those things had to be answered for. Jesus Christ answered for them with his death, burial, and resurrection. Right? Okay, well, if you've trusted Christ, listen to me, listen to me. If you've trusted Christ, you have access to God just the same way that Dr. Doodlesniffer does. And to be honest with you, he might not have access to God because he thinks his doctorate degree is getting him in there. Hey, man, I'm not against education, but I am against a man thinking that an education is what gets him in the presence of God. I'm not against a man being intelligent, but I'm against a man thinking his intelligence is what gets him into the presence of God. You say, what gets me into the presence of God? The Lord Jesus Christ. And what he did for you at Calvary. And so what you should experience on a regular basis is the joy of answered prayer. Get down on your knees and pray about something. And hey, I can't say that it's going to happen within a day or within a week or within a month. Hey, it might even take several years. I don't know what you're praying about. I don't know all the things that are involved, but God knows. And what I'm telling you is that when you get down on your knees and pray at some time in your life, you should begin to see answers. Sometimes the Lord's not going to say yes. Sometimes he's going to say no. Sometimes he's going to say not now. Didn't you hate it when your mother used to say that? No, not now. Uh, my, my, the, the thing that my mother used to tell me on a regular basis was I'd come to her and say, Mama, can I have this? You know, you go to Walmart. First place you want to go was the toy section. You bunch of reprobates. Y'all bunch of hypocrites. I should have heard an amen from all of you kids. Uh, but anyways, you go to the toy section. Of course, y'all don't go to the toy section anymore. Y'all go to Amazon. That's, that's what the issue is. Look it up on Amazon. Go ahead and say amen, fellas. Amen. Uh, anyways, where was I? Uh, but you, you go over there and take it to mom and say, Mama, can I have this? And mama would say, not this week, next week. Oh, boy, you want to talk about making you so mad, you'd say bad words, or I, I hope you don't say bad words. I, I wouldn't. I'm just saying that, you know, you'd think, just kind of deflate you a little bit. Well, a lot of times the Lord will just say, hey, not now. No, sir, not now. Maybe it'll happen, but not now. It's an answer, though. At least you know where you're at. At least you know where you're at. Yes, sir. Well, I done preached my last point before I preached my first point, but I don't think that'll be any problem. Look here in verse 1. The Bible says, I am the true vine. Let's go back here and let's, let's point out a couple of things this morning. He said, I'm the true vine and my father in the, is the husbandman. So you've got Jesus Christ as a vine. He typifies himself as a vine. If you want to understand the relationship between you and the Lord Jesus Christ, Go out here and look at this tree. You say, Brother Nathan, a vine is not a tree. I got news for you, Jack. You're wrong about that. It is a tree. If you read your Bible, you know what you'll find? Every time, or not every time, many times when a vine is mentioned, it's called the vine tree. How many of you have seen that in your daily Bible reading? It's called the vine tree. Yes, sir. Some of you have been reading your Bible and you ain't seen that. Pay better attention. <laughs> But when you, when you go out there and you see this grapevine, what that really is, what the Bible calls it, 
is a tree. Well, that's just incorrect. Listen, why don't you shut your mouth and let God call things what he wants to call them? You know, these scientists have got together and called whales mammals. You know what God calls them? Fish. Uh, stick it in your pipe and smoke it, son. I mean, that's just, God's the creator. He can call it what he wants to. Man, not worried about what some stupid scientists think. Most scientists think that we came from monkeys and global warming's real. You say, what are you doing, Brother Nathan? I'm drawing a line in the sand this morning. I'm letting you know which side I stand on. Listen, when you leave this morning, you won't have any doubts about what I believe. Uh, a lot of folks go to church and say, I wonder what that preacher really believes. Not this one. <laughs> you go away and say, well, at least I know. I don't like him. I don't, I don't agree with what he said, but at least I know where he stands. I can appreciate him for that. Can't you? Amen. Yeah. Hey, that's better than what you got from the politicians this week. Yeah. Hey, Amen. Anyways, and Joel Osteen. <clears throat> uh, but when you look at the Lord, listen, when you look at the Lord, what you have, the relationship between the believer and the Lord is the relationship between a branch and a vine. So if you want to learn something about your relationship with the Lord, what you can do is you can walk out here and look at this tree out here. Now you look out here and here's this tree standing out here. And the Lord refers to it in John chapter 15 as all these branches is something a little bit different than the actual vine itself, than the actual tree itself. First job I ever had, I had working in a greenhouse, and I loved it. Man, I really loved horticulture. I, I still love it. It just don't pay too well unless you're willing to sweat like a hog uh, all throughout the summer and then even some in the winter. Boy, it's just it's pretty rough doing it here. I did it up in Delaware, up in Yankee land, uh, and it wasn't so bad up there. Fella had a greenhouse, a tree fell on it. He said, why don't you come help me uh, repair my greenhouse? I said, sure. And so I helped him and worked for him for about five years, and I really enjoyed it. Learned a lot of things. Learned a lot of things about plants and stuff. Well, he says in verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, every branch in me. Did you know that that's your position this morning as a Christian? Your position this morning as a Christian is that you're in Christ. Listen, uh, if you're a member of this church, I'm thankful for that. I praise the Lord for that. I, I'm happy for you. And, but, you know, that doesn't put you in Christ. Did you know, listen, did you know that you could come here for 30 years and be a member of this church and never be in Christ? Because signing your name on a church roll or me putting your name on a church roll or you coming down to an altar or the front of the church and signing you up as a member of this church or giving you a certificate of baptism. I got looking around here in my desk this past week and I got some of these certificates of baptism. I didn't even know they was in there. But did you know that that doesn't put you in Christ? Baptism doesn't put you in Christ. Yes, sir. That, that's not what those things are about. Well, what puts me in Christ? Trust in Christ as your personal Savior. That puts you in Christ. And listen, I believe a man should be a member of a local church. I believe, I believe people should be the member of a local church. I believe folks should be baptized. But that's not what being in Christ is all about. Being in Christ. Listen, being in Christ is your position as a Christian. But look at what he says here. Look at what he says here. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away. Now listen, your Christian position, whether, whatever condition you're in this morning, whether it's backslid or right with God, Lord, maybe a little bit confused, maybe a little backward and out of the way, whatever your condition is, you're in Christ. Ain't that right? Well, you know what your responsibility is? Your responsibility is to bear fruit. It's to bear fruit. Hold your place here in John 15 and look in Romans chapter 7. Look in Romans chapter 7, look in verse 4. 
Romans chapter 7, verse 4. Romans chapter 7, verse 4, the Bible says, Wherefore, my brethren, Paul is talking to safe folks. He says, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. Now, a lot of folks will stop right there, but that's not a period. That's a semicolon. And again, I'm not a genius, but I do know that a semicolon doesn't mean to stop. That's not the end of a thought. That's a pause. Then he's going to go on and he's going to say something else. He says, wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. The reason that a lot of people stop right there is because they want to get away from lawfulness. A lot of people think that Christianity is lawlessness. I'm not talking about people that criticize Christianity. I'm talking about people that say they're Christians. Well, you know, the Lord saved my soul, and so now I can just live any way that I want to. Well, listen, you could do that and maybe go to heaven, but that is not a Christian life. You get saved by trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Not by what you do. But you are a Christian because of the works. Because of the works. Because of the works. You say, Brother Nathan, I don't understand the distinguishment that you're putting between being saved and being a Christian. Well, the Bible says in the book of Acts that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. There is a difference between believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and allowing the Lord to make out of you a disciple. That's somebody with some discipline. See, a lot of folks look at the law. A lot of folks look at the law. And boy, that, uh, that goes over like a lead balloon because folks don't like the word discipline. You didn't like it when your mama pulled out a belt. Some of you think that that was abuse. And you're wrong. It wasn't. Hey, maybe your mama did abuse you. Maybe she did. I don't know that. But mama pulling out a belt and tanning your backside because you didn't obey, that's not abuse. That's called discipline. You say, well, DFAC says and Dr. Spock says and, you know, Dr. So, I don't give a rip what they say. I care what the Bible says. I care about what God says. Amen. Anyways, I don't know why it would get a little tight there, but that's the God's honest truth. All I'm telling you, all I'm telling you is that there's a difference between being saved, being born again. And actually being a Christian. You say, what's the difference? Discipline. The difference between those two things is a man who looks at the law of God. Here's, here's a lost man. He looks at the law of God and says, I despise that. Right? Because it's, it's condemnation. And here's a saved man who's trying to take his life and become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he looks at it and says, well, I don't have to live that way in order to be saved, but I want to, I want to live that way because the law is holy, it's righteous, and it's good, and it's in my heart. I love it. It's not something I have to do. It's something that I want to do. You say, what is that? That's evidence of the new birth. You know what's wrong with a lot of people, Brother Curtis? I believe with all of my heart the reason that they think that Christianity is really an excuse for lawlessness is because they've never been born again. Really. Amen. Folks have never been saved. Some preacher brought them down to the front of the church and maybe got them up in the baptistry and baptized them or maybe led them through a little prayer, but there was no repentance. There was no understanding that, oh, my soul, I am a sinner. 
I'm in trouble. I'm a bad guy in trouble with a good God. I violated God's law. God is mad at me because I vi I said God is mad at me because, oh no. Well, see, you got the wrong idea of God because you haven't been reading your Bible. You've been re listening to preachers that don't read their Bible. God is not a, he's not an idealistic, sentimental slush. Hey, listen, listen, don't you make no mistake about it. God does care about your soul. But that care was displayed in him sending his own son to die for your sins when you were a transgressor, when you were his enemy, he sent his son to die for your sins at Calvary. That's where the love of God is displayed. The love of God is not displayed in God looking at you, breaking his law and saying, oh, I'd be all right. I didn't really mean that in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's the idea that folks have of God, but that's not a right attitude. That's not a right attitude at all. Yeah. So what the Lord does is he, he, makes, he makes provision. He makes provision. Well, a lot of Christians, a lot of so-called professing Christians are looking at the law of God and saying, well, I'm saved now, so that doesn't have... Any say in my life, but look at what Paul said in Romans 7. He said, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. That's the resurrected Christ. Even to him who is raised from the dead, for what purpose? That we should bring forth fruit unto God. Listen, the Bible says, let me say what that verse says. Let me say it in a different way by quoting a couple of verses to you. Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The next verse says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You say, what is that? That's fruit. That's fruit. Listen, here's a tree. The only thing that this thing produces is shade. It produces some kind of little something. I don't know what kind of tree this is, but it's a wonderful tree because it produces a lot of shade. I got two trees out here that I planted a couple of years ago, and they have done very little. Pecan trees. Boy, those, those pecan trees are picky. They're about like roses and orchids. Man, whoever came up with orchids, unless it's the Lord. Uh, but whoever came up with orchids, man... Hmm, orchids are fussy, fussy, fussy plants. But you know, those things, all of those things are supposed to produce fruit of some kind. Well, so are you as a Christian. The Lord, listen, the Lord did not save you just so that you could sit on your rump and say, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven now. I can go do whatever I want. You know why you think that? Because you think all that there is to salvation is going to heaven. Listen. It's hard for you to answer this question if you don't read your Bible. You say, Brother Nathan, you're making me feel bad about not reading my Bible. I hope I am. It's not because I don't, I don't like you. Some of you, I don't even know you all that well. But what I am saying is you should read your Bible. If you're saved, even if you're lost, you should read your Bible. People in this, in this country about 200 years ago, maybe even more than that, lost people was reading their Bible. Of course, they didn't have TVs and cell phones neither. That's why a lot of Christians don't read their Bible. That's why a lot of saved folks, I should say, don't read their Bible. They got TVs and cell phones. Yeah. Oh, you're telling us we got to get rid of them. No, I'm telling you, you should put them down for a little while and read your Bible. But listen, go through your Bible. Listen, go through your Bible and show me, show me, 
where the Bible delineates that you're going to spend the rest of eternity in heaven. Don't say anything. Just think. Show me in the Bible where it says you're going to spend the rest of eternity in heaven. It doesn't. You know why you think that? You know why folks think that? Because they've been listening to country music songs and southern gospel songs that talk about we want to go to heaven. And hey, I'm for preaching about it every once in a while because heaven's a good motivator. Listen, think about this. The next big prophetic event on God's timetable is the rapture of the church. Once that takes place, at some point after that, you have the tribulation, which is seven years. The tribulation is seven years. There may be some kind of intermediate uh, space of time between the rapture of the church and the tribulation. But I know this, you have the rapture of the church, the tribulation, and then after the tribulation, at the conclusion of the tribulation, you have the second advent of Christ, and that kicks off the judgment of the nations and also the millennial reign of Christ. And after that, you have the great white throne of judgment. And then after the great white throne of judgment, you have new heavens and new earth. Eternity, baby, here we come. So when you die, if you, God forbid, I don't wish this on nobody. If you died today, you, you go to the third heaven. That's where God is right now. You go to the third heaven right now. And you'd stay there until tribulation, the, the tribulation, the rapture of the church. And what takes place up there once the tribulation begins is the judgment seat of Christ to where you are judged for the works done in your body for what you did for the Lord here, not for salvation, for how you serve the Lord. And then after that, after that, once the close of the tribulation takes place on this earth, the Lord is coming back on a white stallion at the second coming, and you're coming with him. You stay here for a thousand years, and then you have the great white throne, and then after that, Revelation 21, 22, I saw New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. That's eternity, man. New heavens, new earth. Eternity is new heavens and new... It's not in the heavens. It's new heavens and new earth. You don't spend all this time in heaven. Oh, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Man, that is... You have your sights set too low. <laughs> I just let that sit there. You say, well, I, I just... I never see it. Well, it's right in there. It's all, it's all right in there. Now, you have to put a lot of it together. But what I'm telling you is a lot of Christians is walking around maybe naive, maybe because a preacher told them that. Listen, I'm not trying to be a jerk to you this morning. I'm trying to get you to see there's more to being a Christian than just getting saved and going to heaven. Man, there is a life to be lived right here to where you're bearing fruit and one day the Lord looks at you for the fruit that you bore in this life and says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Hey, you was faithful with what I gave you. Hey, there's a parable in Luke chapter 19, I believe this, to where this man gives every one of his servants one pound and one servant gets five or ten extra pounds. One gives him, I'm not talking about pounds, it's money. So it's stewardship. That's 1 Corinthians 4, what we dealt with this morning in Sunday school. It's stewardship. God gives this fella one pound, that's money. Gives this fella one pound, gives this fella one pound. This fella gets 10 extra. He takes it and he trades it. He does what he's supposed to. He gets 10 extra pounds. And God says, hey, give this guy authority over 10 cities. 
What? Give him authority over ten cities. That's millennial reign. This guy takes his one pound, the same thing that this guy got. He takes his one pound and he gets five pounds. The Lord says, good job. Give him authority over five. And he comes to this guy. You're in trouble. We pick on Brother Wyatt. But he says, he says, what did you get? And he says, well, he said, I was afraid. He said, I knew that you were a hard and austere man. He said, you were picking up where you didn't sow. And he said, I took your pound and I hid it in the dirt. And he says, you're a fool. He says, you're... The Lord, you're a fool. Folks get so, they get their feelings hurt so bad when a preacher preaches past 12.05. They get so upset when a preacher says something negative about the Roman Catholic Church. What you don't understand is there's coming a day, listen, there's coming a day, if Christians don't, if believers don't get motivated to be Christians, there's coming a day to where there's a possibility God will look at you and say, you are a fool. Thou fool. He said, you could have took the pound that I gave you. And he said, you could have put it in a bank. And he said, I would have collected mine own with usury. That's interest. He said, a lost man's got better sense than you got. And then he says, take, take the pound that this guy has and give it to this guy who's got 10 pounds. And they say unto him, Lord, but he hath 10 pounds. See, you're living in America to where everything... You think that what's fair is that everybody is equal. God doesn't take that attitude. God takes the attitude, what's fair, what's right is what did you produce. That's why Paul says, when he talks about the judgment seat of Christ, that is why he says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we get busy is what he's saying. Yes, sir. Hey, he says, hey, there's some folks. He says, here's a branch in a vine and the God-ordained purpose of God taking that branch and putting it in the vine is so that it'll produce fruit. Now, we could stop right there and leave it right there. And I feel like I've, I've pulled a sled through a, a, a bunch of gravel right there. I, that's, that's hard enough preaching. I haven't really raised my voice a whole lot, but that's, that's convicting preaching just in and of itself. But what I want you to notice in this passage is really not that. You could call that the introduction. I won't keep you too much longer, but look at what he says. He says, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Did you know that there's some people that don't, there's some branches that won't produce fruit? And you know what the Lord does? He takes them away. Oh, Brother Nathan, you're saying that they lose their salvation? No, but what he does is he just takes them out. He just removes them. Loss of life. You know, I've seen, I've seen some folks sit in a church for year after year after year and really genuinely not do anything. There's some folks that sit on a church pew and it doesn't look like they're doing anything, but they are. They're praying. They're passing out tracts. I'm not talking about folks that's in the limelight. I'm talking about folks that's spending their life. They're sitting on a church pew, but they're spending their life throughout the week chasing carnal things, things that don't amount to anything in eternity. They don't have a spiritual mindset. They're not interested in having a spiritual mindset. They're just living for the pleasure of today. And you know what will happen? God will say, hey, this is a branch that's not producing any fruit. And what the Lord will do is he'll come by oftentimes with a pruning knife and just cut folks right out. Sometimes it's out of the local church. Sometimes it's out of life. Didn't say eternal life. 
That was determined by the fact of what happened when you trusted Christ. But you know, your life, man, there's a lot could be said for that stuff. I came out here this past week. I installed an irrigation system on these two pecan trees, and I came out here. We started, I started watering these things. I got a little timer, and I was turning it on and trying to water these things and water these things. And, man, all last year, I planted them, I think, two years ago, maybe last year. And, boy, they really didn't do much, and it kind of bothered me. I thought I killed them. But we went out there this past year, and, boy, they started blooming, started putting out leaves. I'm like, yeah, man, that's great. But they just really haven't done much. So I said, I probably ought to start watering those things. Trees can't survive too long without water, in case you didn't know. So I went out there, started watering them. And you know what I found? Man, them things started putting out leaves like crazy. So I went out there with a pair of scissors. I took my wife's meat shears out of the kitchen. She told me to, so it's all, it's all good. It would have been good even if she hadn't told me to. Oh, some of you fellas are real careful about that. I don't know if I'm going to say amen to that one. But anyways, uh, went out there with my wife's meat shears and started cutting those branches off. And boy, I, boy, I gave it a couple of days because I'm a real patient person. I said, man, they ain't grown no more. Uh, couple, it takes longer. It takes years. It takes years for them things. But I did go out there this past week and I looked out there and you know what I noticed? Those branches, those branches started popping out of that trunk, the place where I didn't want them to grow. So you know what I did? I went by and I broke them off. I just broke them off. Fresh growth, so it's not going to hurt it too bad. But I just started breaking those things off. Well, what would you do that for? Because I didn't want the tree to grow that way. You know, there's one sense in John 15 to where the Lord says, hey, a branch that doesn't bear fruit, I take that away. But there's another place to where he says every branch that does bring forth fruit, he purges it. Did you know that you just can't plant a tree and just let it grow however it wants to grow? Man, you will have one of the most cattywampus looking trees ever. That thing has to be trained, really. That's the term that they use. It has to be trained. You ever, you ever heard of a, a plant called a Bosni? That's what Mr. Miyagi was growing on the Karate Kid. Some of you are shocked that I even know about that. Oh, Danielson. <laughs> Mr. Miyagi had this little plant in a little tray, and it's called a Bosni. And what he does is he goes in there and he cuts that thing off. He cut that thing off. They, they have shows up in Philadelphia where you bring your little Bosni plant in. And people take a little copper wire, Brother Curtis, and tie it. They'll wrap it around the branches of those Bosni trees and make it go like this. Or make it, you know, turn upside. People are crazy about that stuff. But, you know, you can train. You can train. You can train that tree to grow it the way that you want it to grow. And that's exactly what the Lord does. He trains. It's God's greenhouse. God's got the vine, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's got all these branches in here, and here's some branches that don't produce fruit. Well, listen, all those branches that don't produce fruit, the Lord comes through it, and he looks at it, and he says, okay, that's enough. Those branches that don't produce fruit, you know what they do? They're sucking the nutrition away from the branches that do. They're spiritual vampires. They suck, they suck the life out of the folks. You know, there's some folks that do want to do something for the Lord. And there's some folks that, no, sir, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. That's good enough for me. And God says, well, that's not going to go on too much longer. Well, how do you know when God's going to do it? I don't. That's the Lord's business because it's his vine. 
and you are his branch. If you're saved, if you trusted Christ, you're his branch. If you're not saved, you're not even a branch. You need to get saved. But if you are saved and you are trying to produce some fruit, listen, what a lot of times God will do is he'll come in and he'll cut some things away. You know what the term is that he uses right here in John 15? Every branch that brings forth fruit, he purges it. Did you know that that term purge is not really, it's not really a horticultural term. But he uses it here in this passage. The thing that you would think is, oh, when he says purge, he means prune. Well, okay, you could say that, but that's not what it says. It says he purges. You know what purging means? It means to cleanse or to purify by getting rid of things that are not of the same kind. Here's the word that Webster actually uses, heterogeneous. That's not smart. Heterogeneous, I think, is actually how it's pronounced. If you talk about something that's homogeneous, that is two things that are similar. Apes, chimpanzees, and uh, orangutans, they're homogeneous, but they're, they're of the same kind. They're of the same family, genus. Well, when you talk about things that are heterogeneous, those are things that are not alike. Dogs and cats. Lions and giraffes. They're, they're not of the same kind. Well, what the Lord does is He comes by. What He comes by, the Bible says in the book of Romans that Romans chapter 8, what the Lord saved you for is so that you could be conformed to the image of His dear Son. That's ultimately what the Lord's going to accomplish at the rapture. But what the Lord does is He looks at a man, He looks at a branch and He says, that doesn't look like my son. And that doesn't resemble my son. And so He comes through and He'll either just break it off or the Lord will pull out His pruning knife and He'll cut it off. You say, what's He trying to do? Well, Brother Nathan, I feel like that's the Lord trying to hurt me. No, it's not the Lord trying to hurt you. What He's trying to do is He's trying to make you look like His Son. He's trying to make you look like the thing that you are supposed to resemble. You know, what, you know what really astounds me about this is that what the Lord's not trying to turn you into the image of into the image of as some other person. It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Paul says, be ye followers of me as I am also of Christ. But you know the Lord's not trying to turn you into another Paul the Apostle. The Lord is trying to turn you into somebody just like Jesus Christ. And i just be honest with you. Some of you I get real concerned about because that doesn't interest you. It, that kind of stuff doesn't interest you at all. That's kind of concerning. I wonder what kind of salvation that you got. Brother Chris, you like plants, I, I think. You know what's interesting about those pecan trees out there? It's the same thing that's true about this tree here, and it's the same thing that's true about the grass. Brother Tommy has a business based on this fact. That stupid grass out there has to be cut once a week at least. Some places maybe twice a week, I don't know. Once the winter comes, maybe once every two weeks, once a month. You know what it is? It's a principle of life. It's growth. That thing, there's something. There is a principle that operates inside that grass, every green thing out here. There is a principle that is at work 100% of the time that says, got to find light, got to find nutrition, got to find water. And once I find those things, I am going to grow. I'm moving out. 
You know, some folks sit in the same place where they've been their whole life as believers, quote unquote. Oh, I believe in Jesus, but you've been sitting in the same place where you've sat for the last 30 years. Something don't ring right. You say, are you, are you questioning my salvation? Yes! Yes, I am! I have to! Because the Bible says, by your fruits ye shall know them. You don't have no right to judge me. Well, he that's spiritual judgeth all things is what the Bible says. See, what you're doing is you're living your life on little cliches that somebody pulled out of a Bible. You're not actually reading it. Like Job said, Lord, I lay my hand upon my mouth. Hey, with the hearing of the ear, I've heard of you, but now my eye see thee. And I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. He said, I put my hand upon my mouth. I'm going to hush my mouth. That's what a lot of quote-unquote say folks need to do. They need to lay their hand on their mouth and say, God, you, you tell me. You teach me. Listen, all I can tell you, listen, all I can tell you is if I have a boy or my daughter and they turn 20 years old and my boy is still that same size, I'm not going to look at that and say that's normal. I'm going to run him to a doctor. Hey, can you do some tests and tell me what's wrong? A lot of folks have been put into the vine is what they say. They say they're saved, okay? We'll take you at face value. But they've been put into the vine and there's no growth. There's no, listen, it's not just that there's no growth. There's no reaching out. That's what a tree does. It's weird. They're like people. It's creepy. They reach out, man. They're looking for light. That's, that is why when you put a bean in the ground, it sprouts. It feels that heat, it senses that sunlight, and it grows towards the sunlight. I got tomatoes sitting out there. We put them in some five-gallon buckets, and one of those tomatoes we didn't stake up, and so it fell over. You know what the thing's doing now? It's growing up like this. You say, why? It's going towards the sun. It's going towards the sun. That's a principle of life. That's what believers should be doing. They should be reaching for the sun. I'm not talking about just going up. I'm talking about they should be reaching for Jesus Christ. More, more about Jesus, what I know. But some folks are satisfied. They're satisfied. Listen, we could preach about what you should be doing or what direction you should be going. or you know, all, We could preach the specifics, but this morning what I'm trying to get across to you is why are you satisfied with where you're at? Why is it okay with you that you're satisfied with, well, I know this about my Bible, I know this about God, and I'm satisfied with this. And a preacher looks at you and says, but you don't know this, and you say, how dare he call me ignorant. No, it's you! It's you! It's you! Man, if you repent of that self-satisfaction, man, you could sit down. You could sit down with a Bible. You could open God's book and God say, what about this? And you go, oh, i never seen that before. You might even be able to run down to a preacher and say, hey, have you ever seen this before? And preachers say, no, I ain't never seen that before. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Oh, no, not me. Yes, you. There's a principle of life that's operating in there. Yeah. That should make you dissatisfied with where you're at. I'm talking about in your spiritual walk. But what about my finances? God will take care of that. Yeah. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. That's physical things in the context when he said that verse. All these things shall be added unto you. Yes, sir. 
Let me say this and I'll close. Let me say this and I'll close. God's got a pruning knife. Don't he? You know what it is? It's right here. This is God's pruning knife. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You better be careful. You cut yourself on that. That's right. We went and picked a preacher up from an airport one time and he set his Bible in the seat next to me. I was sitting in the back and he said, be careful. You cut yourself on that. That's a little funny. Of course, y'all didn't laugh because all my jokes are bad. It's a little funny. But boy, it'll cut you. It'll cut you. You know what it'll do? It'll cut things out. But you know what else it's able to do? Do you know how to graft something in? When you graft a branch into a tree, you know what has to happen? There has to be a cut in that trunk of the tree. You got to cut that branch just right so it fits into that little incision in that tree and then you got to tape it up and bandage it and boy when it starts growing boy that thing will just be like it was just part of the tree the whole time you say what what does that this right here God's pruning knife you say what you talking about this morning brother Nathan God's greenhouse the husbandman comes by and he looks at his son he looks he looks at the Lord Jesus Christ and says boy you looks like your body the body of Christ Looks like the body's growing today. But you've got a couple of folks there that ain't producing no fruit. We're going to have to do something about that. So I just don't believe in all that legalism. I know. And that is why you're so miserable. Amen. That's why you have no joy. That's why you have no peace. That's why you're bored as all get out sitting here this morning. These things hold no alert to you. They hold no attraction to you. It's just you have your mind somewhere else other than what God's interest for your life is. And God's interest for your life is not just making sure you've got food to eat and making sure you've got a roof over your head. God's interest is that you do something for Him so that when you stand before Him, you'll be found complete in all the will of God because there's something to come later on. But it's your call, man. I just don't like all these preachers trying to force me to do. Nobody's forcing you to do anything. We're doing what we were told to do by God. We're preaching to you the truth, and now the, the opportunity is yours. It's, it's on you. Lord, help us this morning. God, we pray, Lord, during the invitation, Lord, this morning, we pray, God, that you deal with hearts. And God, Lord, just have your will and way. God, Lord, I know that these things are true. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. God, Lord, this, this is not just a sermon, Lord, about folks that ain't bearing fruit. Lord, it is just as much a sermon, Lord, here in John 15, what you told your disciples before you died on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, you told these not just about branches that don't bear fruit, but those that do. And how the Lord has to, the, good, the husbandman, the father has to come through and purge those things and clean those branches. Lord, I pray that you'd help us, God, Lord, to trust you during that purging process. Lord, to get rid of the things, Lord, that don't match what should be there according to the Son of God. Lord, I pray that you'd help us with these things this morning. God, root these things in our heart. Lord, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. So I'm going to come this morning. Listen, if you need to come gather around an altar, why don't you do business with the Lord? You say, well, I'm a little bit shy about coming to the altar. Okay, do business with God right there in your seat. But I tell you, if you do business with the Lord... God is more than interested in doing business with you. Why don't you deal with him this morning? Deal with him. Don't let the opportunity pass you by.
do business with God this morning as he leads.